Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Praise the Lord, everyone. My name is Jacob, and you are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Uh, I'm here today with Joe. Praise the Lord. Seth. Hey. And Anthony. Well, hello. Uh, if you're new to Scripture Unleashed, this is a podcast that follows the bread uh, Bible reading chart put out by the UPCI Children's Ministries. And this week we will be going through Ezekiel chapters 13 through 36 and Proverbs chapters 20 through 22. Now, please remember that if your pastor teaches on topics of conviction differently than what you hear in today's episode, you need to listen to your pastor. But if he is teaching things doctrinally wrong, you need to have a conversation with your pastor. With that, I believe we are going to talk about Ezekiel chapter 13. Joe, what do you got there? Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 13 is dealing a lot with um, prophets in Judah and Israel. God tells tells Ezekiel that there's prophets in the land that are prophesying things that are not true. They're, they're saying things by their own spirit. He said they follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. He said, oh, Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert, which I don't know what that means. What's a fox in a desert, guys? Crafty and cunning, I would assume. I suppose. Desperate? I guess so. I don't know. Either way, God said, they have seen vanity and lying divination, saying the Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. These prophets are saying stuff that's not true. You go mm -hmm. down to mm -hmm. verse 10, because they have seduced my people saying peace, and there was no peace. Like they're saying everything's okay. Everything's mm -hmm. not okay. And this really stuck out to me because, you know, we have a whole lot of people that, you know, maybe there may even be some apostolics. And and I think this could go, you know, we could talk about uh, preachers that are preaching a false doctrine. You know, we could talk about preachers that are that are saying you're okay when you're not okay. Preachers that are that are telling you that even though when you know you're not okay, you know, I heard somebody tell a story, you know, tell their testimony about how they got into true church. I think they'd gone to a, some type of church where he's like, you know, what do I got to do to get right with God? And he said, well, accept the Lord as your personal savior. And he's like, I've done that 50 times and I'm still drunk. <laughs> but, you know, like, no, nope, that's mm. all there is. Like, you're okay. Dad. Yeah, exactly. But he said, these prophets say peace when there is no peace. You know, they're following their own spirit. They, they have seen nothing. So that's one side of it. But then the other side of it, too, is, uh, and I think, you know, this might be more what God's talking about, possibly. It's just the idea of prophesying stuff that you hope happen, maybe. Mm. Like, like, I want this to happen. But then prophesying about it when God did tell you to prophesy. People mm. sometimes, you know, they point to Ezekiel chapter 37 and say look he prophesied and it happened yes but god mm -hmm. told him to prophesy to the wind mm -hmm. uh, i mean if god i believe in prophecy i believe in prophets but not this all this prophecy you know this this all peace everything's good when god didn't even tell you everything's good i remember brother deeds telling the story about uh, when his i think his first wife died right before it happened he said he had all, all kinds of people calling him and he said uh his wife died oh, yeah. his wife died and then his phone rang and his son answered the phone and he said hey tell your dad god just spoke to me and your mom's gonna get healed and recover you know and he goes yep she's healed all right she's in the morgue do you know why god spoke to this guy 
it's because this guy wanted her to be healed. God didn't speak to him. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't mm-hmm. speak to him. He, he was, he had hope. And, you know, because of that, or partly because of that, you know, I guess one of Brother Deed's sons backslid and was like, well, you know, look at this. And, and that's no justification for backsliding. No, you know, no. at all. I'm not, so I'm not making an excuse for that. But the point is, don't, don't prophesy when God didn't tell you. Like, don't, mm-hmm. if, if God didn't say it, just, just don't, don't, don't say that. <laughs> you know, it's pretty big deal. God's very, very serious about this thing. Uh, um, you know, God talked about great hailstones coming because of, because of all this hailstones and an overflowing shower in my anger. And he's talking about what a prophet's like that's, that's building a wall with untempered uh, mortar and how, when the wall has fallen, you know, he said, I'm going to, I'm just going to completely tear this thing down with a stormy wind in my mm-hmm. fury. Like God, God's not going to put up with false prophecy. God's not mm-hmm. going to put up with false doctrine. He's no. not gonna, he's going to tear it down. Deuteronomy 13, basically at the very beginning of the chapter, it says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and give it the sign or, or a wonder whereof, the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is really what, what's going on here in the time of Ezekiel. These prophets, these dreamer of dreams, they come and they declare peace and there was no peace. And it doesn't make sense because, as I mentioned last time, Ezekiel was of the second deportation out of Israel, or out right. of Judah, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And that means that they've already seen that the city was besieged and destroyed and taken. And yet these prophets are still, these so-called prophets, are still crying that there will be peace when there isn't going to be peace. God has... You know, as we read through Ezekiel, Ezekiel 19 basically gives a an analogy of of the destruction of Judah. Uh, it talks about the mother being a lioness and setting up a, a lion's whelp, and that's the king. And that that king gets captured and carried away, and then she sets up another king, and and that king gets taken to Nebuchadnezzar's place, and then basically the city gets destroyed. That was the real prophecy, but none of these people wanted to cry that, and. Really, that kind of plays in with our what we were talking about last time about the watchman on the wall is that these these so-called prophets were crying out and saying, you know, peace, peace, when there was an army coming against the city. Right. And mm. so the blood of those that died during the, the siege are on the hands of these so-called prophets. There's more than just that as a consequence as well. If you look at, at verse nine here in chapter 13, Ezekiel 13, nine. It says, and mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Now, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord God. I found this kind of interesting when I was reading this. I, something popped into my mind. I was like, wait a minute. I've, I'm pretty sure I remember there was a, a spot in scripture that it talked about people's names not being found. And if you go to Nehemiah chapter 7, the Levites are coming back into Jerusalem after the 
captivity. So this is, you know, several hundreds years after Ezekiel prophesied this. They're coming back into Jerusalem. They are trying to seek their registry to, you know, so that they can work in the temple. And verse 64 of Nehemiah 7 says, These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, were they as polluted put from the priesthood? So mm. what we what we just seen there in, in Ezekiel thirteen nine comes to fulfillment and shows us the consequences, not only of our on ourselves where we'll have the blood of the innocent upon ourselves for false prophecy, but also upon our children, right? And the fact that their genealogy will be cut off mm. because they will follow after our ways. Now, of course, you know. God says that, and we'll, you'll read that in Ezekiel this week as well. He says that the sins of the of the son uh, will not be put upon the father, and the sins of the father will not be put upon the son. But the actions of the father will affect the son in a way that leads him down a wrong path. Right. Well, I don't know. I guess one of the things um, I was thinking about earlier, I actually, it's more towards when Joe was talking, but. Mm-hmm. When you read the book of Ezekiel, even though Ezekiel was quite the character and he, and he, to me, it seems like he had probably loads of personality, you know, mm-hmm. and of course he experienced some pretty crazy things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you, don't, you don't really get the feel like at all that this is about him. And so just going along with the, the messenger or the, the, the true prophet more along those lines, it's just... I think it's so important that we, we keep keep the message God's message. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I think that's, Ezekiel was actually a really good example of that, even though he yeah. did proclaim some very terrible news. Not all news is good news, you know. Right. But it still needs to be uh, said. Absolutely. The warning has to go forth. Moving on, really kind of following in line, Seth, in chapter 14, you made a note about the judgments of God. Ezekiel 14, you know, God is, uh, is kind of, you know, he's talking about what you were just talking about, Jacob, just a second ago with, uh, even if somebody's really, really good, it's not going to spare them around them. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he references, though Noah, Daniel, who was a contemporary, and Job are in it, he's talking about their day, Mm-hmm. Uh, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls, souls by their righteousness. And uh, it's a scary, it's a scary thing, you know. Uh, you know, people yeah. are always talking about those that are standing in the gap. Well, there's going to be a point where it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, verse twenty-one: For thus saith the Lord God, for how much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine. And the noisome beast, which uh, would be like an evil beast or wild animals, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. So these are like the the four ways, not the only four, of course, in the scriptures, but like kind of the four ways that God wrecks humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to Revelation, Revelation chapter eight, or somewhere in that area, right there, um, he talks about you know the, there's the the four horsemen. You know, we've all heard of that, but mm-hmm. one has like death in his hands and one one is able to remove peace from the earth. And another, you know, it's just I mean, it's just astounding. But God has these really, really interesting ways, it seems like, to to judge humanity. Mm-hmm. 
and um, uh, it's just it's just uh, intimidating. And scary. Yeah, one chapter also in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter twenty-eight, yes. is yeah. you know it's at least in my Bible. My Bible's got some pretty decent sized font or whatever, and it's single line, but it takes up probably four and a half pages. Just yeah, that one chapter. I, if I remember right, it's like the first 14 verses of the blessings of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then like uh, 15 through 65 or something is, uh, and I'm not looking at it right now, but it's like 15, 68, 68 are like, okay, this is what, this is all this evil is going to happen to you. If you don't obey. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the, the but, thing is though, that, that I really, I really do like to point out is that, you know, yes, God uses all four of these judgments because all four of them, I believe are listed here in Deuteronomy 28. It's interesting to note that God doesn't just plow all of these judgments at once. It's a progression. It's something that he starts off with a small, you know, kind of like a slap on the wrist kind of thing says, don't do it. And then they keep going. And then, you know, then it's a, if we're talking about kids, you know, then it's a spanking and then, then, you know, they keep doing it. Well, now it's time out. You know, I mean, like it just gets progressive. Of course, his is like, you know, your your crops will fail and your, <laughs> you know, all these different things. But as it goes, it's not just one, you know, God gives you time and time and time and time again to repent, to turn around, right, to correct your actions. And if you don't, then it comes down to the point of a final just wiping away of the slate. You know, as we were mentioning in, Jude, uh, in Ezekiel 19 with Judah being shown to be wiped away, completely destroyed. You know, with that, uh, there is a some good news on top of all of this. You know, not right. to keep it all downcast and and broken, but but Joe, you have some kind of good news for those during God's judgments. Well, yeah, Seth mentioned it there already, but um, the fact that Noah, Daniel, and Job. Well, let me back up. Uh, verse 13, Ezekiel 14, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine own hand and will break the staff of the bread thereof and will send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. So that's not a good, but then he says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, say the Lord God. God's got a way of protecting the righteous when he pours out his judgment on the land. So so God's not going to send out his judgment on the righteous people. Um, you know, it's already been said, they will deliver only their own soul, which is interesting, you guys, that it says that because Noah didn't just deliver his soul. <laughs> Eight souls were yeah. saved by water. But anyway. It is kind of interesting though because that's something that we have to deal with today you know yes we are supposed to point people to calvary we're supposed to point people in the right direction as preachers right absolutely but above all else i must be saved and and i think what this scripture is saying is that that we can't save somebody i mean we can preach and that's what we're called Mm -hmm. to do and i think we can have a huge influence and have you know but at the end of the day they've got to like because it says by their righteousness like you got to be righteous jacob's mm-hmm. righteousness doesn't get me out of here you know yeah nobody's righteousness True. gets me out of here but my own 
and that's what it, yeah you know so so it's like we are called to preach and we're absolutely called but we can't make somebody live righteously uh so we can't save someone's soul god will protect his people god will not forget the righteous he won't you know he mm-hmm. he will remember uh the righteous people you know you look at our world today he said if when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, I think we could say our land is trespassing grievously. Yeah. I mean, really, abortion. You know, if you want to talk about the blood of the innocent people, God knows, remembers. Mm-hmm. He feels the pain of these abortions. This land has sinned grievously against God. Yeah. And But, but the righteous people will be protected. God will make a way to protect them. With Noah, you know, obviously, Noah built an ark. Uh, mm-hmm. God protected Daniel in the lion's den in Babylon. Just make sure you're righteous. Make sure you're living right. Make sure you're doing right. And and everything will be just fine. Kind of jumping back into last week's reading in chapter 9. Uh, something we didn't cover last week when we were going through. Chapter 9, verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. You know, I I alluded and I didn't get a respond back in the text when I sent this, you guys, so I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but this kind of reminds me of, and it sounds awfully familiar to the 144,000 Jews that receive the mark in their foreheads in Revelation. It's nice to know that, you know, those that, these men that sigh and that cry, they are hurt in their heart because of what they see going on in Israel at this time in Judah. You know, their, their hearts are burdened because of all of the destruction that they see going on in Judah. And so God comes, sends his, his angel, as it were, this, this man with a writer's inkhorn in it by his side, sends him down to mark onto their foreheads so that they would be protected against the wrath to come. It's just kind of interesting, especially how well that parallels into the end time. And right. we see how God will protect us or his righteous. So keep his people safe right. during times of great trial. Well, listener, we thank you for listening this far. Uh, We're going to take a quick ad break, and we will be right back after this. Welcome back, listener. Here we're going to jump into Ezekiel chapter 18 at the beginning of this segment. And we're going to talk a little bit about the power of repentance. As you read through chapter 18, you see here God is, is conversing with Israel. And he asks them first, he says, Why are you saying this proverb that the fathers have eaten sour grapes? And the children's teeth are set on edge. Basically, what this proverb means is that the, the fathers have sinned and the children reap the consequence. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, you know, and their teeth, the children's teeth are set on edge. And so God goes into this lengthy discourse and he begins to ask them, you know, if a righteous man, you know, in all of his righteousness, he doesn't do all of these, this whole list of sins that he, that he lists in chapter six, he said, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, which would be idolatry, neither hath lifted up his eye to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to the menstruous woman. And hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, and hath spoiled none of, by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and hath executed true judgment between man and man. 
hath walked in my statutes and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. So if this man, this righteous man, he will live by his righteousness. But if he begets a son, if he if he gets a son uh, or you know has a son born to him that does all the opposite thing, he's just a wicked man in the, the kingdom of God, the father is saved by his righteousness and this son is condemned by his wickedness. And then it continues on. But the point really, I think of this chapter is verse 23. He says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? You know, God, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right. God absolutely hates the fact that he has to watch somebody that he loves die because they wouldn't follow his his law his commands i mean he doesn't like it what we see here in this chapter really is he talks about that you know if you tell a wicked man of his wickedness and he turns away from it and he be, and he starts living after after god he starts living righteous that he will save his soul he has he has saved his soul he's kept himself you know at, when he dies if he is, remains righteous when he dies he's good in the eyes of god you know I, I, use that word lightly, good. You know, there's none good but God. But if the righteous man, in all of his righteousness, and he gets to the point and he repents of his righteousness. Remember, repentance doesn't just mean going from bad to good. It could be good to bad. Right. And if he goes in his repentance, this righteous man, and repents and becomes wicked, then he will die in his wickedness and be lost. The power of repentance is is so powerful that it determines our entire course right talking about the power of repentance and how god hates it you know when the wicked die and stuff like that he wants them to change and how much he cares for us anthony you have some notes in ezekiel 34 i think one of the things as far as repentance we've read it before in scripture you know how can how can somebody repent if they don't feel conviction well, how can they feel convicted if nobody feeds them the word of God? Mm-hmm. Um, so Ezekiel 34, 9 through 11, it reads, Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. That's kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like, oh, wow, maybe I should pay attention to this. And I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock and neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. I just read Ezekiel chapter 34, and surely this chapter has to evoke some kind of conviction uh, to anybody that feeds the flock. Mm-hmm. You know, no no matter how determined or disciplined we might be as leaders of the flock or congregation, our level of compassion and grace and love, they, they pale in comparison to God's gracious nature. Right. You know, God help us to to rise to that call and take responsibility to shepherd God's great people. Time and time again throughout Scripture, God has this perfect, unconditional grace that he extends to his people. But oftentimes we as humanity, it's, it's where we fail. It's where we come short mm. to where we fail to 
represent God's grace at times. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just get fed up. <laughs> we would get fed up with, with the wickedness of God's people. But time and time again, God is extending his hand, arm of mercy. Brother Joe, surely God is a good shepherd. Yeah. You know, uh, w- when I think of this, I think of, um, you know, talking about a shepherd here. You know how a shepherd needs to, to care for his flock. And I, and I think of, and, and be merciful. And I mm-hmm. think of uh, my pastor, Pastor Simons. Uh, you know, I, I, I really feel like he's, you know, he's got this thing. And as, as, as shepherds, I think this is something that, or, you know, caring about the flock. It's not something that's forced. It can't be mm. forced and it can't be faked. But it's got to be genuine. It's got to be real. And you really have to care about people. I don't think you can be a pastor if you don't like people. I mean, if you don't, if you don't like people, I don't know if you can be, you know, you can't be a soul winner if you don't like people. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's just the way it is. But so, you know, I, I right. feel like, um, you know, my pastor, Pastor Simon's really, he genuinely cares for people and he's merciful on people. Uh, mm-hmm. People make mistakes. And, uh, you know, I, I know some stories. He just, you know, like, like get back up, get back with it. You know, you, you know, you can still do this. And so, uh, you know, I'm thankful for a good, for a good example like that. But yeah, um, I, I find this, you know, in this same chapter, God is warning Ezekiel about Israel's lack of good shepherds. He said, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but ye, ye feed not the flock. God said, because of this, for thus saith the Lord, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd, shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places, where they have scattered in the cloudy uh, and dark day. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. He said, Because uh, there is no shepherd in Israel, I myself Mm -hmm. will be their shepherd. And if you look at John chapter 10, I don't know if this is necessarily a prophecy of Jesus, but Jesus Mm. certainly fit the bill. Because yeah. in, in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Jesus truly is the good shepherd. He's yes. got a lot. He's got yes. a lot invested in this thing, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He's, yeah. He said the hireling they might not care, but uh, mm-hmm. and, and please don't misread this into thinking that that you don't need a pastor because I just go straight to God. No, Jesus also charged certain people like mm-hmm. Peter uh, to be. He said, "Feed the flock." When yeah. he's not here. You know, we need a physical shepherd as well. Yeah. But ultimately, mm-hmm. he is 
of the head. I mean, he's the shepherd. He's a true shepherd. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so please don't misread that. But Jesus said, uh, you know, somebody that doesn't have anything invested in this thing, they might not care. But he said, I'm the good shepherd who giveth his life for the sheep. He's got a lot invested in this thing. And he truly is the good shepherd. And he cares He cares for his people. He cares for his sheep. He, he looks out for us and keeps us away from, from evil. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless we wander off on our own. But, you know, he don't leave the flock. Don't leave the don't leave the church because, yeah. you know, the one that's that's taking care of the church. Ultimately, it's his church. He, he is the good shepherd. Right? And, that, you know, I I find it interesting when you, you know, you said, you know, if you if you backslide, well, granted, we don't want anybody to backslide. But if you are backslidden, listener, and uh, you have this kind of hope here in verse 12, at the end of it, it says, so will I seek out my sheep. And will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. You know, God is constantly reaching. You know, we know the the parable of the the ninety nine and one sheep. You know, the the one sheep that went astray, and the the shepherd leaves the ninety and nine in the field and goes and searches for that one lost sheep. Our God is so gracious, so merciful, so compassionate that He never stops seeking for that one lost sheep. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his whole mission coming in in flesh. I mean, that that salvation is uh, a stepping stone to that goal of seeking and saving that which was lost. You know, it's just, it's powerful to know how gracious our God is. I would also add to that, don't use that as an excuse that I'll wait till tomorrow to get right with God because God's always going to be looking Mm-hmm. And, and seating. Yeah, you know, I, I, you don't know that. You, you know, there, there, there are scriptures in the Bible that, you know, God seemingly kind of turned his back on Israel. Um, yeah. I, I would say, get right today. You hearing this yeah. today could be God coming looking for you. Don't play games with God. Kind of transitioning out of that and into another topic. When we do come back, you know, when he does bring us back, there will be. There'll be things that, that have been set up long ago by our, our forefathers, you know, in the church that really we need to hold on to. And and Anthony, you you actually pointed this out in Proverbs twenty two, twenty eight this week. Yeah. one of the key verses in in our reading this week, at least I felt like it just really hit me this week, was Proverbs twenty two, twenty eight. It just reads Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set just a short, simple verse. Um, If you're not familiar with a landmark, a landmark, according to dictionary.com, is something used to mark the boundary of land. Mm -hmm. It is a prominent or conspicuous object on land that serves as a guide, a distinguishing landscape feature, marking a site or location. What does Solomon mean when he says, remove not the ancient landmark, which thy fathers have set? One would say, well, maybe that's just some kind of building or some kind of physical oddity that, that people see and they acknowledge. But I would like to take that and to apply that spiritually. There are spiritual landmarks in our faith. Mm. As men and women of faith, we can't afford to lose these landmarks. We can't afford to remove the landmarks our forefathers have painstakingly set before us. Mm-hmm. 
there are battles that have been fought that really honestly do not need to be fought again. Yeah. To keep fighting the same battles or you know tearing tearing down a landmark just to raise up the same thing mm-hmm. is, is it puts us behind. I mean, we should be building upon the foundations that our forefathers have set. One, one of the things, our holiness should not trend downward. Right. With, with the world the way it is, with society, you know, deteriorating, we can't afford to let down on holiness. Right. Yeah. Amen. One of the things, a landmark, it should be, you know, I, I read it, dictionary.com. It said, you know, it should be, a, it serves as a guide. Mm-hmm. Holiness is our guide. Right. Mm-hmm. The highway of holiness. Holiness is more than just a set of rules. It is a way of life. Right. It is a care for the holy things of God. It is an acknowledgement that God's nature is superior to ours, and we should submit our nature to his holy nature mm-hmm. and, and thus conform to that. We have to judge our own actions and our, and our own legacy under that shadow of the ancient landmark. Is our, are our lives matching up? If our forefathers saw the current apostolic movement, mm. if Come on. they saw our current faith, would, would they be pleased with that? I think if we were to really think about that or to consider that, I think there would be some things that they would be pleased with. Mm-hmm. But I think there would be other things that maybe they'd be like, well, wait a second, maybe you need to go back to that ancient landmark. Right. Yes. Landmarks of prayer, landmarks of studying the word. You know, we, We're here today and we do this every week where we, we delve into the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to some kids nowadays, and even you know, young men in in their twenties that really don't spend as much time studying as as they do maybe surfing the web yeah. or you know playing games on on the internet or or whatever mm-hmm. you know you know what what about the the landmarks of prayer especially right yeah you know the landmarks of praise if we're not careful these landmarks can can collapse and, and they can be drawn away from to where the next generation, when they go through the same situations that we face, they won't have anything to look to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just feel that very important that we remove not the ancient, the ancient landmark. I'm really stuck. <laughs> sorry, but I, I, I just find it really important that we don't remove the ancient landmarks of old that our fathers have set. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, and it kind of, I like one of the definitions in there that, you know, it denotes the, the boundaries of the land. Really our, our forefathers, you know, they've set boundaries. They've set fences, if you will, and told us, you know, don't cross this. You know, if you cross this, you'll, you know, we set it back here far enough that, you know, you shouldn't fall off the cliff's edge if you, and, uh, the, if we remove that landmark, and and this is something that you were talking about holiness, this is something that we see. Uh, I'm not really wanting to dig into a, even our, but even in our our movement, we see this that you know we pastor. My pastor mentioned it. I believe it was Wednesday night. Um, he said, you know, we don't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. You know, you're in a in a classroom mm-hmm. setting, and you know, the teacher's like, all right, we're going to grade on a curve. And so the person that got 90% technically gets 100 according to that. And then everybody else is based off of that. And it's like God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not something. So in our holiness, there's a standard set. 
it doesn't matter what how poorly the world does. It doesn't matter how far the world gets away. We have a standard that we have to stick to. Right. Absolutely. And it's it's sad, but we're see I've I've seen it at least in our movement that some people are are trying to grade on a curve and say, well, the world is is you know ladies skirts are getting shorter men are are you know growing out their hair and stuff like that and it's they're like well the world's here so we'll just stay up above them a little bit holiness standard wise it's like no you you have a a landmark that was placed when the church began you have a landmark that was placed by the apostles way up here right why are you why are you lowering your standards you're still above the world in your eyes, but you're not meeting God's standard. Right. Yeah, that's good. You know, both what, what you guys both said, I 100% agree with. And, um, and I would, you know, I would also point, remove not the ancient landmark. You know, I think we could point to the Bible and we could say this mm-hmm. is the ancient landmark. And we are built yes. upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, but also like you, you know, brought out Anthony, you know, about uh, let's not just throw away landmarks of like, so why, why did the, uh, the United Pentecostal church take a stand against television? Why? Well, because, you know, they took a stand against television before television was even that evil. Like what was being displayed on television wasn't that terrible yet. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, certainly not what it is today. Well, there was a reason why they did, um, you know, because they they just felt like this is not a good direction for us to go into. And now and now. Sometimes people are like, well, like, what, what's it matter? Like what I'm watching is, you know, it's not that, you know, it's not that bad or whatever. Well, don't, you know, and this is, I've heard Pastor Simons, you know, say, or Brother Walters or somebody, don't tear down a fence before you knew, before you know why it's there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, right. like. Like, you know, there's a, there's a reason, there's a reason for this. And I think there's are things that we have to, um, that we have to realize and, 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 and be diligent about and care about because it does mean something and about mm-hmm. the whole, and the whole television thing, you know, we, you know, this and, 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 and don't get deceived and know it's television, it's television, your phones, I mean, your phones. Mm-hmm. The internet, yeah, the web, all these things. Like like Anthony mentioned something about, you know, uh that was one of that was one of the reasons why they uh, the early uh United Pentecostal now I just read uh I could really get sidetracked and get <laughs> fired up about this topic. I just read last night, I was reading if you guys ever heard of the book called uh, Harvest on the in the Northern Plains, I think Pentecostalism in North yeah. Dakota. Yep. I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. I have. It's it. a, yeah. You have it, Seth? Yep. Yep, I do too. I was just reading it last night. I was reading it to my wife and just uh basically, I mean, the only there's it's basically any Pentecostals in North Dakota. 
mm-hmm. uh, Trinitarian oneness, all that. Well, I'm only interested in oneness, really. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was just going through it. So I read the story about Williston. I read the story about Bismarck, um, Harvey. You know, brother, brother Walters is in there. This book, it seems like it was written. Sh- I'm not sure exactly when it was published. I would have to see, but shortly after 2002 because everything is up to 2002 so Mm -hmm. but anyway i can't remember what i was gonna say oh yeah i do so 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 this guy gave a very fair overview of every denomination that's pentecostal in north dakota and i read his what he said about the united pentecostal church and this guy was not a united pentecostal man he was a trinitarian i believe pentecostal which pentecostal just means you know basically if you're a pentecostal you believe in in the day of pentecost you believe in that mm-hmm. experience what happened now there's a wide spectrum some believe um you know that it's necessary for salvation but that you won't always speak in tongues when you get the holy ghost some believe that you will speak in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost, but it's not necessarily like you don't have to have it to go to heaven. Where we believe that you will speak in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost, and you need the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. Well, anyway, yeah. and, and this wasn't in this book, but but so basically that's Pentecostalism, and that's where we're at. That's where one is Pentecostalism. At. But he gave an overview of this this book, or, or, or of the United Pentecostal Church, I'm sorry, in in his book. And it was very fair. It was unbiased. I I told my wife, I was like, this guy was fair in what he said about the United Pentecostal Church. And he had, he he took, must have took it from our articles of faith. And in there, it says, we, you know, this is what we believe. And we um, disapprove of any of our members indulging in worldly activities, Mm -hmm. uh, such as sports, worldly amusement, uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And then then it's and because of all the evils uh, from television, we disapprove of any of our members having a television set in their home. Mm-hmm. That's what we believe. There's a reason why they had the, the, that landmark set. Yeah, it's, it's because in the same epidemic that we face today. With our phones, and I am guilty of this. Did you pray? Did you read your Bible? Or are you on Facebook? Or are you Mm. on YouTube? Like this landmark that was set applies. It's not like television and that's the landmark. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's the whole works landmark. Anyway, I'll shut up. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, that's really good. Um, I know something that, that kind of caught my attention when Anthony was speaking. Uh, I was trying to find the scripture when I was talking, when Joe was talking there. But you'd mentioned, you know, we we need to stop tearing down the landmark just to build it back up again. And mm-hmm. I think Hebrews chapter 6 really falls in line with this you know it says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of christ and that doesn't mean like letting them behind but just stepping further closer to god let us Uh go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works he's like that's we already got that settled we know what that means so let's not lay that foundation again 
he continues, and of faith towards God, of doctrines of baptisms, plural, of the laying on of hands, of and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. He's saying that, you know, let's let's not keep tearing down this stuff. We got this stuff down. We know what it means to, to you know, repent from our dead works. We know how what it means to have faith towards God, to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, which is actually that end of laying on of hands. It's being filled with the Holy Ghost and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Like he's, we, he's like, we, we got these. We know these things. Let's stop tearing them down and building them back up. And let's just build on top of them. Let's build what we need to build on top of this. And really, I feel like that's kind of, that's kind of where the church is in general. You know, maybe not, maybe not the church, obviously, you know, the church is, is right with God, but those that claim to be part of the church, this is kind of where some of us get stuck is that we keep going back and having to rebuild these landmarks. Now, yes, we need to maintain the landmarks, you know, absolutely maintain them. You know, yeah, we need to know, let the next generation know what these landmarks are, what they mean, how, how they pertain to us. But then we have to, build on top of the foundations thereof right seth you got anything to add you've been really quiet um no it's good no. Yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> i'll edit that out but <laughs> okay <laughs> well i think we're we'll just close then so sounds great i gotta run okay did we not cover something that jumped out to you or do you have any advice or a word of encouragement for us? Please let us know. You can do so by sending us a voice message through anchor.fm or through our Scripture Unleashed Facebook page. Now, we hope that you enjoyed this week's episode, and we look forward to having you with us next week as we go through Ezekiel chapters 37 through 48, Hebrews chapters 1 through 7, and Proverbs chapters 23, 24, and Psalm 73 and 74. God bless. God bless. God bless. God bless. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.